0: Hey, is everybody on? Good morning. I hope everybody is well. It's good to see you. I'm looking forward to being together in person, then we won't have to worry about getting on anymore. We'll just need to worry about showing up. Well, good morning. Today, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 56. Luke 8, 40. All right? Uh, It's a great story. I'm looking forward to getting into it with you, but... uh, you know, I wanted to tell you a story about hidden treasure first. Uh, our family used to have this annual beach trip to Lincoln City, Oregon, where we'd stay in a little cottage. Uh, we'd go and play at the beach, of course, and go to the outlet malls. And so since we'd go shopping together as a family, we'd, we'd like to give the kids a little bit of spending money. And so one year, we watched the movie The Goonies, and it's this movie about kids going after hidden treasure, following a map and, and finding hidden treasure. And so I got this bright idea that I wanted to give my kids a treasure hunt at the beach. And so, uh, so we arranged this thing. So we needed a map with a riddle to solve. And uh, you needed to have a little bit of an adventure to get to the places where it was pointing you. And then hopefully at the end you find the hidden treasure. And so uh, I made a map with a poem on it. With the riddle. And I used, old, I used old English to make it look genuine. Ye and, and thou hast to go to the stairs of the whatever. And, and I roughed up the paper. I crumbled up this paper that I made this riddle on a bunch of times. And I opened it and r- crinkled it up again. And, and then I burned the edges and I rubbed dirt on it to make it look really old and, and to make it look real. And I rolled it up, and I put it in an old brown bottle with a, with a cap that was attached to it. So anyway, the plan was I would hide this bottle uh, with the map in it at one beach we would go to regularly. And then the directions on the map would, would basically point them to the other beach that we like to play at. And it was a few miles down the road, so we would really have to go places to find the treasure. And hopefully, there'd be this treasure that they could find, and, and they'd have to figure it all out. I didn't want to really help them too much. And so, uh, for the treasure idea, we used those dollar gold coins that we have now. And we mixed in some play jewelry, and I borrowed a friend's uh, old burlap sack to put it in, so it really looked genuine. So, anyway, we arranged all this, we went to the beach, and I planted the bottle where I knew the kids would find it. And when they saw this bottle and it had a paper inside, they got all excited. They opened it and they read it. And, and I kept playing it off like, ah, it's a fake. You guys are just getting your hopes up. But they argued it. They really entered in. They, they thought it was real. And so one of the main parts of the plan was like they'd find this bottle in the evening one night. And so they'd have to wait overnight. Uh, to go to the next place to, to find the next piece of the puzzle. Because I, I wanted the excitement to build. I wanted them to, to lose sleep over it. And so the next day we went to this other beach. They figured it out that, oh, I bet you it's at this other place we like to go to. And so the next day we went to the beach, and I played the grumpy dad role. You know, I like, ah, I'm not going to go look for it. It's probably just a fake. You guys are getting your hopes up. So, so anyway, Holly played the good guy, and she, she took the kids one di- the wrong direction, while I ran the other direction and buried the treasure underneath the tree that was part of the clue. And, uh, and, and then when they came back around the corner, they went the wrong way. They saw the tree that they could possibly be under, and they ran to it, saw it, and they were like, oh, I bet you it's right there. And so they ran to it. They started tearing up the sand, and and they found the treasure, and it was awesome. I was so proud to be – I did a good dad thing that day. It was just a great, creative way to give them their vacation spending money. They thought it was real, hidden treasure. It was just really cool. And that was was a great vacation. So later, a few weeks later after our trip, we were in town – and uh, we were all in the car talking about uh, finding money. And I was telling them, you know, hey, if you guys ever find a a, a lot of money on the sidewalk or somebody's wallet, we'd, we'd want to return it to whoever owned it. And one of them asked, well, why didn't we do that with the money we found at the beach? And I was like, oh, well. And I, I hammed and hawed, and I was trying to figure out a way to get out of this. but uh, And I don't remember how the conversation was going exactly, but I got to the spot where I had to tell them it, it was me. I, I did the treasure. I didn't, I didn't want to lie to them. And, and they were shocked. They, what? That was you? They didn't, they didn't believe it. They, they were maybe even a little bit mad at me. And so I asked them, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Do you, do you know why? Do you understand why I did that for you? It's because I love you guys. And I wanted to give you an adventure I wanted you to, to, to have this really cool experience that you would remember so that when you're older, you would look back on this and you would know that your dad loves you very much. Because I, I imagine they would figure it out when they got older, but they figured it out then. And, and, and after I told them that, it's because I love them so much. They, they got silent. I think, I think the message got across. And as I, remember, I, I try to show my kids love like that regularly where I give them things to say I love you but I also love them in a a way that I want to see them grow in maturity that uh, I don't try to solve every problem that they have I allow them to to go through struggle and and trial and 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 to to go through pain a little bit to see them grow in maturity to see them gain the tools that they need to to become who they need to become And it's hard for me to see them going through the tension and to not just go and take away their pain for them or solve their problem for them. But I think it's a way that I can show them that I love them by allowing it at times. And as we study, as I studied today's passage in Luke 8, uh, I think I see God doing that very thing in people's lives. He, the way he plans and he orchestrates, the way he allows life to happen, to unfold in such a way so that at the end of the story in the, or in the middle of the story, you get to hear the message that he, he loves you and he's with you, right? He allows tension and trial in our lives, but it's to help us to see that we can go ahead and trust him with every detail. We're in this miracle section in Luke. There's four miracles in a row. Last week we looked at two miracles. The one where Jesus calms the storm. He gets up and he commands the winds and the waves to be still and they listened and obeyed his command. And the other miracle last week was he delivers a man who had had thousands of demons possessing him and he sets him free. And today we're going to read two more miracles. And the question that the reader that we as an audience, as the witnesses to these miracles, are to ask ourselves and ponder, is who is this? Who is Jesus? What is this saying about him? And that's what we want to find out. So before we begin in 840, Luke 840, let's pray. Father, we come to your word, and we come to your word so that we can get to know you. Lord, build our faith, build our trust in you. Help us to gain a greater sense of the love that you have for us, and not only us, but the love you have for the whole world. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So let's get into it. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Here we go. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said, She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she, she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Such a good story. So much tension is involved in this story, right? So many interesting facts and, and, and things that uh, align in this story. There's a couple different ways to look at the details and the events in this story. One is to look at it as like just some great coincidence, right? Right? that this woman just happened to have this health problem for 12 years, as many years as this girl who is dying has been alive, right? And that they just happened to converge in the same town, in the same day, basically in the same place with Jesus. It's just a coincidence that all those things came together at once. Or you can look at it as a great display of God's sovereignty who is doing this on this day for a purpose, to communicate a message to them and to us, right? And in either case, one should be left in wonder, in awe. Who is this, Jesus? Like we've been witness to something extraordinary, right? It helps us to feel reverent and glad. So let's get into it. Uh, the story begins with Jesus from the other side of the lake He's just delivered the man with the thousands of demons, with the legion of demons. And it says in verse 40, Jesus arrived, a crowd welcomed him. So he comes across the lake and is already a crowd. And they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, a community member, a prominent community member, and he came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12 was dying. So right away, we get into the story of Jairus' only daughter is about to die. His 12-year-old little girl is hanging by a thread, and there's nothing he can do about it. It's out of his control. There's nothing left to do. We don't know if this is a sudden thing or if this is an ongoing sickness finally about to take its toll, but you know as a parent, you can, you can imagine as a parent, anyone who has had really sick kids, you know the kind of sickness that starts to scare you, you know, you know that many prayers have been prayed already. Jairus has had many conversations with God. Her mom has had many conversations with God. Lord, please. How many times has she pleaded with the Lord? How many times has Jairus reached out to the Father? Lord, if I've done something, or Lord, don't take them. Take me instead. Prayers of desperation. Too many to to count. And Jairus does what any father would do. He hears that Jesus is coming, or that Jesus has arrived in town, and he hurries to Jesus. He's heard stories that he heals people. He's even raised a, a dead person. Perhaps he'll save his only daughter. Can you... Picture him running through town down the street to where Jesus' boat is going to arrive. Can you see him just praying prayers under his breath? Lord, let this happen. Let it be now. And when he gets to Jesus, he's undone. He breaks. He's desperate. He falls at Jesus' feet. And he pleads, Come to my house, please. Hurry. And Jesus agrees. He says, Yeah, okay. Let's go. I'm coming. And then it says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crush him. Of course, <laughs> of course, nothing is ever easy, is it? And this is like a hair-pulling time for dad because time actually matters right now, right? He's urgent. Jairus is urgent, and these people just won't get out of the way. Everybody wants to talk to Jesus, but doesn't, don't they know What's going on here? Have you ever gone on a walk with somebody who likes to just stop and smell the roses? You know, if you're a task-oriented person and you think, hey, we're going to go for a walk, which means exercise, which means you got to keep moving, and you go with somebody who likes to stop, and you're like, ah, man, come on, let's keep coming, right? Or you think that uh, you go on someone who thinks going for a walk means stopping and talking with everyone. You know, it can get frustrating. You keep kind of having to turn around and say, hey, come on, keep, you keep having to go get them. And in Jairus's case, this had to be happening. Jairus wants to walk, Jairus wants to run back, I'm sure, but Jesus is just kind of going through the crowd. The crowd won't let him pass. This had to be making Jairus squirm. And meanwhile, as they're sl- making their way to Jairus' house. Another person heard Jesus was in town, and she wanted to get to him too. Her issue was also a big one. She had this in her life for over a decade. Verse 43. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. The understanding here is that this woman's health problem was that she was bleeding from her uterus, and it was ongoing for the past 12 years. Not weeks, not months, years, right? And for her, this issue has got to be a huge burden. Not only was it probably yucky, it might have been embarrassing for her, and it might have even been shameful. To her. Her condition was written about in the Levitical law, stating that she is excluded from going to temple to make sacrifices. She can't go and worship. She's considered ceremonially unclean. And if it's ongoing for twelve years, she can never go go in and, and make sacrifices. She's cut off. And with a condition like that, the community around her maybe maybe thought that she was cursed. That God was punishing her and her family. That she or someone in her family did something to deserve this. And she did not want this in her life. It even says in some manuscripts that she spent all she had on doctors and was still not well. You think about her prayer life. How many times she's talked to God about this. How many times she pleaded with God, take this away from me done anything evil, uh, Let me. I'll do anything to get rid of this. Please forgive me, help me, get me clean. She, she thought she needed to make some sort of deal with God, right? Those would be the kinds of things she'd be praying for like the past 12 years. So she was also desperate to get to Jesus that same day, that same hour. And she came up behind him, it says in verse 44, and he touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now picture her there. Can you see her in the midst of the crowd? This crowd that's crushing Jesus and this little lady pressing through. You know, how many times did she almost get him and miss and have to go around again, and try another time, pressing through, worming her way through the crowd to get to Jesus and God the Father. Is seeing all of this from above. And finally, she gets close enough to reach out and just scrape the hem of his garment. Just the hem of his garment. Just barely a touch. And immediately she's healed. She feels it. And then, can you imagine this this wave of relief? She's moved. She's empowered. She has this this quiet, personal moment of celebration surrounded by people that have no idea what just happened in her life. But she's there just like, yes, fists clenched. Yes, I did it. It happened. Finally. This 12 year private struggle between her and God was finally over. The embarrassment is gone. No more shame. No more hiding. No more. No more. You know, and some commentators say that her faith was small and timid. But I I think it was a great faith. I think she had great faith because she knew that she just needed to touch him. She didn't need to make this big presentation. She just knew if she can just get to him and touch even just the hem of his garment, that she would be healed. Her view of Jesus was greater than anyone else there in that crowd that day. All she needed to do was touch the fabric That he's wearing. And she'd be healed. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus makes a scene. Jesus creates a scene for her. Verse 45. Who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus asked. Who did it? When when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, all the people are crowding and pressing against you. I don't get it. But Jesus said, no, someone someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I think he's acting here. So she'll come forward. He wants her to. Jesus wants this woman to come forward because he's proud of her. She wanted to go unnoticed, but Jesus wants to honor her and her faith, right? That Jesus was able to help her and she didn't let the crowd stop her. Verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came and trembling at his, and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He declares to her, Daughter, You are a daughter of God. Your faith is rewarded. You are healed. You are clean. Go in peace. And the crowd around, who is now made aware of what has just happened, this miracle, celebrates. Wow, that's so amazing! Praise the Lord. This great excitement. Remember Jairus? Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus. The synagogue ruler, and he said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. It's too late. They took too long. Jairus heard the words that we hope no one ever has to hear. Your daughter is dead. Inches apart, feet apart. This woman's relief. Her trial is now over. And Jairus's grief, his trial has just begun. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. But Jesus told Jairus already when he met him at the river's edge or at the lake's edge that he'd come to his house and heal his daughter. And Jesus keeps his promise, Jesus keeps his word. He says, Don't be afraid, trust, she will be healed. Jesus is not just a teacher. Is it even possible now? She's dead. What can be done? Right? Verse 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. There's no doubt that the daughter is dead. From the human perspective, it's over. And the house is already surrounded with grief and sorrow, great grief, great sorrow. Can you see Jairus approaching the house with Jesus and this crowd? you see Jairus' eyes meet with his wife up the sidewalk there? The pain that they share in that moment, they embrace and try to console each other they go from there to inside the house where she's laying. You know, this is the first time Jairus has seen his daughter's dead body. He's overcome with grief. This is horrible. Verse 54. But Jesus took the little girl by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once, she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) It's like Jesus is the only guy there at the house that thinks this is no big deal. He's fine with it. She's not dead. She's sleeping, right? And he wakes her up like someone wakes up a little kid taking a nap, Say, little girl, my child, get up. That's how he says it. She takes a breath. Her eyes open and she stands up. And Jesus said, give her a snack. I guess dying makes you hungry. (laughs) In verse 56, her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. How can you not tell this? How can you not say anything about this? Is he kidding? I can't even fathom this emotional turnaround of those events. I'd probably be crying greater tears now of just joy and brokenness and, and disbelief and wonder than, than my tears of sorrow. From deepest sorrow to greatest joy. Only Jesus can do it. The psalmist in Psalm 30 writes this that, that just makes sense now. It says in Psalm 30, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus heals everything. Jesus raises, Jesus saves, amen. The way this story unfolds to me is so potent. All the tension, all the emotional swing, all the history, the way Jesus draws faith out, the way his great love in their lives is so powerful, it's so profound, it's it's so life-changing meeting Jesus in the road and his message to them his message to his disciples who are witnessing this his message to us who are witnessing this is we can trust him with everything have faith do not be afraid we all have twists and turns in our life and i hope that as you go through your twists and turns that you find the hidden treasure in them that at the end of the map, you find a loving father. I don't know how your story will unfold. Your circumstances may work out differently for you than it did for Jairus, than it did for this woman. But I think uh, what Jesus shows us in this story is he knows. He knows your need and he knows your faith he hears your prayers. He is present. He knows all the details of your life. and He wants you to see that he loves you and he cares for you, that he is there to change everything. And I don't know what that what that looks like exactly, but if we're watching for it, we will find it. If you are having an issue that... You have to press through the noise, if you have to press through the crowd to get to Jesus, if you have to fight your way to get to Jesus, may God grant you success. Or if you are in a season of waiting, you're telling God, please hurry, and you have to wait. You have to wait for him to come to your house. May God give you perseverance and strength. Man, there are so many in Things in our lives that show us that we, we are just not in control. <laughs> I am not in control, but, but God is. God knows. And so I take comfort in him. I, I'm in a hurry, but God is not. Lord, help me to wait. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, help us, help us to walk faith and hope. Help us to not fear, Lord. Lord, we bring all our anxious thoughts. We bring all our anxious thoughts and trials to you. Give us the peace that passes understanding. Help us to see our life circumstances through your eyes, Lord. Help us to accept the things that you put in our lives and help us to find the love that you have for us at the end of it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to leave you with two verses for benediction today, some of my favorite quotes from Jesus. One from Matthew 11 that says, Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. And from John 16, it says from Jesus to his disciples, to us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Somebody needs to hear this this week. Somebody in our group and somebody out there that doesn't hear these messages, somebody needs to hear it from you, that Jesus is with them, that Jesus cares for them, and that Jesus can change everything. Will they believe? You are the messenger, so go be the church. Ready, set, break.